I've memorized all the fish in the sea. I've memorized each opportunity strangled, and I remember awakening one morning and finding everything smeared with the color of forgotten love, and I've memorized that too. The iron is a rusty and the barnacles are crusty, but I'm feeling kind of lofty for a lost beer. The boats they are leaving and the dolphins are eating, but the drink that I believe in is a lost beer. The lost beer from the camp, my dear. The captain and the crew are drinking lost beer. Lost beer, the holy land is near. The captain and the crew are drinking lost beer. Welcome tonight. The waves are high. The rain is beating down. It's tonight with. <laughs> Welcome to tonight with. Tonight with Christopher Joseph. That's right. Um, yeah, wow. Feels crazy being back on the show, doesn't it? I know, it's good to be back. It feels like both a lifetime uh, away, the last show, and also like it was just yesterday. Sometimes it just feels like it was a week ago. <laughs> the natural sort of course of time. It does indeed. Um, what do we have in store for us today, Joe? We've got some fantastic things today. We have proud sponsorship from the fantastic Lost Pier Beer. Lost Pier Beer. The jingle you just heard was indeed a jingle that we wrote about the wonderful Lost Pier Beer. So we're going to drink some beers. We've got four beers from the lovely Dan, mm-hmm. and we'll drink those through the show and give them a lovely review. I think that's almost next up, is it, before story time? Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that in a second. We'll hear from Dan. Um, we've got story time. We've also got the filthiest of owls. Oh, good Lord. Be still my beating heart. It'll be good to hear from Filthy Al again. Is he all right? Is He's he all right. He's still in Ireland. Okay, that's good. That shows he hasn't gambled his life away. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're going to hear from him. We've also got some fantastic music for you guys. Wonderful, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Jeff. Should we get the show on the road and listen from Dan? Let's go. Let's do it. Take it away, Dan. My name's Dan from uh, Lost Pier Brewing. We started up about two or three months ago. Um, we're currently brewing out of Missing Links Brewery in Chidden Life Farm. So first up, this is our Beach Session IPA, which is our lowest ABV beer at 4.3%. Um, it's designed to be consumed at the beach on a really hot day. Um, so everything about it is light and crisp, refreshing. refreshing. Uh, the malt base in there, we use lots of Pilsner malt and pale wheat malt as well, which are really sort of low flavour, uh, very delicate malts. And then we've hopped it quite heavily, so it's a nice, dry, bitter finish to it. Um, people get different notes on the nose, but I get a bit of sort of passion fruit on there. Um, and we use a hop called Azaka as well, which gives some sort of pineapple hints to the beer as well. Like, oh, good. It literally splashed on my face there, Joe. That is beautiful. <laughs> I've seen, uh, Fantastic. I've seen uh, that. Wow, so this is the Beach Session IPA. Mm. It's really good. It's oh. really good. Mm. Yeah, that, that is quite nice. Yeah, it's nice. I think, so Dan's uh, part of Quaff Wines. There's a couple of uh, shops. Quaff, there's one in mm-hmm. um, Port Slade. No, it's not that far. There's one in Hove, that far. There's oh, one in Hove and there's one in, uh, in Five Ways as well. Yeah, so that you can buy Lost Pier beer from there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I'm not sure about the, um, did he say grapefruit? I don't, I, no, I, I don't remember what, no, that time I think he said, he said something about, well, oh, good Lord. It's very nice. 
Yeah, it's delicious, delicious. Um, I'm just really digging the artwork as well. It's, it's very jazzy. Yeah. A lot of colours going on. It suits this kind of very uh, sort of chilled out, relaxed beer. The artwork is, is, is not chilled out at all. It's, it's flashy. It's vibrant. flashy stuff. It's from a guy called Mr. Feel. He's a Brightonian artist that Dan was telling us about. And um, yeah, it's very illustrative. Um, it's all based around the West Pier. Uh, the dilapidated West Pier. I know. I know that uh, Dan was saying that um, uh, about notes on the nose and all that. I I don't know if it, I just can't really. I can't specifically taste anything. It kind of it tastes to me like a delicious beer. But I don't know. I can't pick up any kind of fine notes in it at all. That might be. Um, I think it's just because I'm a philistine. Oh, right. Well, I don't <laughs> know. I, don't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't I think say I've killed, so. I've killed my taste buds with tisky. Oh, it might be I've the tisky, the zweik. Yeah. Yeah, plenty of those. But I really like it. I think it tastes it tastes a lot better than a lot of craft beers you can get like sort of off the counter. It's certainly a session beer. There is it's, it's certainly a session, it's session beer. but it also it's got a lot more flavour. I'd much rather be drinking this than I've been drinking a lot of the sort of Tesco sort of sort of three for a five or yeah. affairs. Yeah, definitely. It's not as weak as you'd imagine some sessions to be. It's four point three, so mm, that yeah. is decent. We're gonna move on to really nice. our story time. Oh wow. I'm excited. You're excited. I'm excited, I'm excited. to hear the lovely Patrick Crawford's wondrous. Welcome back, Mr. Crawford. Driving Mr. Crawford. Driving Mr. Crawford. Or is he driving us with his wonderful storytelling skills? The story we have is called Cry of the Owl. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping for an owl soundbite there. And uh, yeah, we're going to see uh, whether or not uh, this story, uh, rather this chapter in the ongoing saga of Marco Giddings, a man lost in a wood, trying to look for a girlfriend, getting caught up in a, a bad scenario with some ghost deer, uh, can finally uh, achieve some kind of resolution or meaning um, in, its, in its fourth incarnation. Patrick, take it away, you take sexy it away. beast. Take it away. The cry of the owl. Marco shivered like a cold jelly. The rain poured down like cold acid on his shivering skin. Dawn held him close to her chest, cradling him in the dark of the forest. Memories of the night flooded his mind, drowning out his every waking thought. The translucent lounge of a blue-eyed stag. The tom paper of a cardboard box, soil filling his lungs. It's okay, Dawn whispered, a tiny hand clinging to his damp, sodden shoulder. The ungodly sound of the distant gunshots rang in Marco's ear. It's a miracle they made it out alive, he thought. Who could have imagined Croydon, a safe and beautiful town, could be a place where nightmares become reality? Brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. Marco launched himself away from Dawn, pulling his leather jacket over his head. This shit is completely fucked. Marco (laughs) shouted, zipping up the cold metal of his solid solid pocket. Dawn stared deeply into his eyes, her pupils dilated and strange, pinholes in a vast ocean of nothingness. And then Marco understood why she'd become a taxidermist. She must have understood the power of death and desire to capture it, to contain it somehow. <laughs> Marco began to run home, stumbling over branches in a rambling thicket of slain stag wood. Nice. <laughs> he hoped it was all a dream, some hung over vision, fueled by a broken heart and some terrible ale. Suddenly, his job at Daily Star. <laughs> <laughs> Marco does work at the Daily Star, so that's good. Uh, Seemed like heaven in comparison to the hell of this terrible Jesus evening. Dawn shouted through the pouring rain, or purring rain, but her voice was lost to the cries of the owls behind her. 
Stepping through the winding alleys, Marco's train has pounded through puddle and muck, gaining speed as he reached the front door. A feeling of cold guilt in Marco's stomach. Had he made a mistake to leave Dawn behind? Had he? Had he? <laughs> that's, that's the is, question. That's, that is the question. To be honest, I would have. <laughs> I think I would as well, yeah. yeah. Crashing on the leather pillows of his old dog-eared sofa bed. <laughs> Marco looked to a photograph on the mantelpiece. It was the first photograph he'd ever won a prize for. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> this is delving really into Marco. I'm not, I like this. This is good. A picture of a child in a small red raincoat oh, holding a balloon see. on a rainy afternoon. A tear ran down his face. I'm already such a bastard, he thought. But what if she summoned those things? What if her fascination with death was something more? That was, in, that was Marco saying that. <laughs> Good. Forget about it and go to bed. That's what he told himself. Could he really have been trapped in a ditch, hunted by animals, followed by a phantom deer through a forest he knew so well? But then it hit him like a Glaswegian brick. <laughs> <laughs> like, like last week's reader. <laughs> he must have been dugged at the library. Drugged at the library, sorry. It was dawn all along, that strange temptress of death and stuffed animals. <laughs> jeez, jeez. He's got this, the writer's gone mad at dawn. She gave him a, her sip of her grandfather's gooseberry wine. That rusty antique flask must have been laced with some hallucinogenic fluid, some cro- crooked potion made to confuse him, to muddle his thoughts and conjure up those ghouls. But why had she done it? Had a rival photographer hired her to mock him? To seduce and shame him, <laughs> to go back to the flat and blackmail him somehow. Great. The plot thickened. Marco, pouring himself a glass of whiskey from a Daily Star hamper he'd received the previous <laughs> summer. <laughs> I wonder if... Is, the, oh, is Daily Star in Croydon? Well, we don't know. We don't know. Sorry. He'd get to the bottom of this, Marco thought. But first things first, let's have a good kip and allow his sobering brain, the only thing he could trust right now, to sort things through. Little did he know... But the world of Marco Giddings was about to get even stranger. Oh, that was good, man. That was good. Thanks for that, Patrick. Oh, thank Fantastic you so much meeting. for that, Patrick. That was, that was, that, there was a lot of really impending good. doom in your voice, and I dug that. I dug that a lot. Uh, wonderful. So. I wow. loved that. I thought that was great. I d- I, to be honest, I think it's the best chapter yet. It, without a doubt, is the best chapter yet. I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, uh, say too much about that, but I, don't, yeah. I genuinely think that they're a terrific writer and I really do hope they continue. <laughs> yeah, so uh, do I. They deserve, they deserve some kind of award in my mind. So do anyway, uh, so moving on from that. Oh, um, wait, we can't move on yet. We, we can't not? move on yet. No, no. Do we, need to, do we need to really talk about what just happened? What I'd like to know is, is for Daily next Star week, really I want to know, no, uh, not necessarily if the, the Daily Star is there, but I'd like to know which part of Croydon he's from. Because yeah. East Croydon, of course, the, the classic connector into Victoria from Brighton. Absolutely, yeah. West Croydon, famously referred to as a concrete jungle by David Bowie. <laughs> So yeah. I'd like to know which one. Yeah, I'd like to know as well. I'd like to know where Marco's from, but I'd also like to know where he's heading. You know, is he is he going back to the company? Is he going back to to uh, for one last sort of photojournalist job before he explores this true uh, paranormal affair? Or will will he go back to the wood? Were the ghosts real? Is Dawn going to return? Will he go back for some of that um, grandpa's liquor? Yeah, exactly. I would. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, well, great. And um, and why were those owls so loud that they could dr- <laughs> drown out uh, Dawn's shout? <laughs> That's the question that I really okay. want to have the Okay, to. well, let's listen to Barnacle Bill by Frank Luther. This is a recording from 1928. It's a, it seems to be a very tongue-in-cheek song. I'll let uh, you decide. It's fantastic. 
Who's that knocking at my door? Who's that knocking at my door? Who's that knocking at my door? Cried the fair young maiden. It's only me from over the sea, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. I'm all lit up like a Christmas tree, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. I'll sail the sea until I croak. I fight and swear and drink and smoke, but I can't swim a bloody stroke, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. Are you young and handsome, sir? Are you young and handsome, sir? Are you young and handsome, sir? Cried the fair young maiden. I'm old and rough and dirty and tough, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. I drink my gin, I dip my snuff, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. I drink my whiskey when I can, whiskey from an old tin can, for whiskey is the life of man, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. I'll come down and let you in. I'll come down and let you in. I'll come down and let you in, cried the fair young maiden. Well, hurry before I break the door, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. I've cussed and fussed and rant and roar, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. I'll spin you yarns and tell you lies. I'll drink your wine and eat your pies. I'll kiss your cheek and black your eyes, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. Sing me a love song low and sweet. Sing me a love song low and sweet. Sing me a love song low and sweet, cried the fair young maiden. Sixteen men on a dead man's chest, sang Barnacle Bill the Sailor. Yo, heave ho and a bottle of rum, sang Barnacle Bill the Sailor. Oh, a high-rigged cheek and a jaunting car, a hee-yo-ho, what are you most done? Hooray, my boys, with the bull-john run, sang Barnacle Bill the Sailor. Tell me that we soon shall wed, tell me that we soon shall wed, tell me that we soon shall wed, cry the fair young maiden. I've got me a wife in every port, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. The handsome gals is what I court, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. With my false heart and flattering tongue, I court them all, both old and young. I court them all, but marries none, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. When shall I see you again? When shall I see you again? When shall I see you again? Cried the fair young maiden. Never again I'll come no more, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. Tonight I'm sailing from the shore, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. If you wait for me to come, setting and waiting and sucking your thumb, you'll wait until the day of your doom, says Barnacle Bill the Sailor. Goodbye. So, seconds... Beer we've got is our APA, American Pale Ale, at 5%. Um, this is a tiny bit sweeter um, than the Beach Session, and we use big flavor American hops in here. So we've got El Dorado, Mosaic, and Simcoe, uh, which adds quite a lot of tropical fruit flavors. And we wanted the beer to be quite dry and not sweet, so it's quite a clean, refreshing APA still, with some nice hoppy notes to it. That was Barnacle Bill by Frank Luther, and after that, that was the lovely Dan telling Describing, us all about yeah, the APA. Actually, that's right. Uh, 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 firstly, that's a that's a a big riff on for the Brightonians. The Hove actually, Hove actually, yeah, of course, and it, onto itself a pun on love. Actually, <laughs> uh, like the less we talk about love, actually, the better. Really, um, let's open these uh, beautiful open beers. Up. Open them up. Mm. 
So tonight we decided to uh, record from a lighthouse. We did. It does. I mean, everything feels and looks like a lighthouse, so I suppose it must be. Exactly. And, What's uh, the beer like, man? And actually, the beer tastes a bit like I'm in a lighthouse. This is a very, very different taste, actually, to the, uh, to the, the beachy IPA there. Yeah, it's definitely got a bit of bitterness in there, for sure. Wow. Yeah, this is a far more I'm serious kind of... Patrick as well. And I can tell it's a percentage a lot. Yeah, the percentage is 5% this time. So we've gone up. Nice. So we've gone up a little bit. But there is a, mm, this, I actually, I'd say I'd prefer this one. It's yeah. more of a kind of like taking, taking care of business kind of beer, Fair if enough. you know what I mean by that. It's, it's less chilled out on the beach time and it's more like we're going to sort of get fucked up in a brilliant way kind of beer. Yeah. Um, so it's it, still, is, still, it is on the tin. So it's the delicious. Really is, is the session. Mm. There you are. I'm really enjoying it. I'm really, I'm really digging it. So while we drink these wonderful beers, can we call our, our resident gambler, Filthy Al? Oh, Filthy Al. Filthy, Filthy Al. Let's give him a call. Let's give him a ring and see whether or not um, he's uh, still in a dustbin under a pond or whether or not this time he can truly talk to us. That's right. We've got a fantastic jingle for him as well. Let's play that jingle. I'm mid 30, 30 with a go, 30 to 1, 31, 11, 30 bid, now half, no 1, 11, 31, 11, 31, 31, 30 and half, 31, 75, now 1, 31, 31, 1, I got 1, a quarter, 1, a quarter, 1, a half, 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 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, 31, it's been a trouble since we Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're doing all right. We're in high spirits. We're in a lighthouse right now, Filthy Al. Hey? We're in a lighthouse. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Are the ships crashing? No, 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 they're not, they're not, they're not crashing. We're, no, we're fixing not, that. We're right. We've got sure. the lights on. We've got the lights on, Filthy Al. Oh, fantastic. Nice. Bloody Have you got some filthy tips for us? I've uh, a truly reputable story. And he's going to fire the bets into the clouds. He's called Long John Lager. And he's obviously over the choppy seas of debauchery. And he's going to uh, give a little skip to you. He's got a few tips, and I, I trust him. Oh, fantastic. Oh, Great. Fantastic. Let's Great go. stuff. Follow me. Follow me. I am a wise man. Uh, we go on to the boat. We're leaving the, uh, the safety of the port. We're going through the safe waters of the Johnny, we've got to go. We've got to go. We've got a guest on the line. <laughs> you crazy drunken Irish <laughs> madman. We've got to He's halfway through the Odyssey. You've got to go. <laughs> It'd be lovely to talk to you, Johnny. Johnny, you take care of take care of Phil Fial. Don't let him gamble too much. Jesus Christ, what man. What the fuck was that? What the hell? Um, so that was Filthy Al. Well, that's Filthy and, uh, Al and Captain Johnny. What was It was Captain Johnny. Um, Long John Lager. Long John Thanks, Lager. Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. I think we cut him off uh, the mid yeah. midway through his odyssey. It's a sure sign of the quality of uh, this episode that um, that Filthy Al's tips make less sense than the story that, <laughs> <laughs> that we had to read, I think. <laughs> um, uh, well, so the plan is right now that we're going to uh, we're going to go into our little introduction about the interview, but first, okay. we're going to go into 
uh, is it Dan's next bit about the we can go into the third beer or well we yeah gonna... I want I want to hear a song want to hear a song first yeah, yeah let's hear a f- song first let's hear we'll, a song. and then this we'll... is the fantastic Robert Crumb yeah wonderful. Robert Crumb and the cheap suit serenaders with singing in the bathtub wonderful. Vice, which has gone down a storm. Um, we've got the artwork slightly customised by our designer, Mr. Phil, who's Brighton-based, and we've changed the Hove Angel to uh, the Statue of Liberty on there. So it's a Miami Vice because it's a it's a German-style wheat beer um, with American hops. So we, the the yeast we use gives off um, sort of these sort of notes itself. Plus we use hops called 
uh, Summit and um, Sriracha Ace. And Sriracha Ace actually is a really beautiful hop and it adds some sort of coconut um, sweetness in the beer, which is quite a delicate aroma, so it'd be interesting if you guys can pick that up. Um, we also use in the boil um, coriander seed and um, cacao uh, orange peel, which is slightly bitter, and you get a nice sort of orangey flavour running through the beer. Um, so that's that one. Wow. So this is one I've actually been looking forward to, uh, not only because it, it mixtures, uh, it's a mixture rather of uh, it mixtures. It mixtures. It mixtures. <laughs> because it's a mixture of uh, America and uh, Germany, is that right, with the vice, or is it? Yeah, it must be, eh? Um, like a... Yeah, cool. uh, so yeah, not only that, but just because uh, I really fucking love the name Miami Vice. Vice. Yeah, yeah, it's spelled uh, W E I S S. If you didn't, that get is that a fucking. I'm, I'm a man of I'm a man of many puns, and I dig that one. Yeah, me too. Um, I love this uh, coriander seed. And orange yeah, the coriander seed and the cacao, cacao as well. Fantastic. Cacao, was, cacao, cacao. We're, well out of time there. There we go. All right. Sorry. I'm taking the first sip. Oh. I can Ooh, see what that's it's fruity, fruity. It is very nice, actually. That is yeah. a lovely, lovely mm. wheat beer. I'm enjoying that. I'm guessing it's a wheat beer. Mm. It might not be. Patrick Crawford and his lovely voice seems wow, that very is, um, happy about that as well. I've got to say, for, first out, I'm not as much of a fan of it as I, as I was of the uh, APA, actually. I'm really into this. It's a little bit too fruity for, for my for my action. I'd have this with a slice of lemon. It is it's no, very, it's no, very tasty. Very tasty, but it, that fruitiness is uh, very much. It's not. It's not your bag. I'm more of a bitter man. You're I'm a, a bitter man. I've got a bitter soul. Yeah. <laughs> I've led a bitter life. I'm from a family of short, bitter people. Um, so yeah, this is a bit too fruity for my nature. I, think. I like but this. I'm, I'm, I'm taking I'm quite, sip. I'm quite a fruity gentleman. Mm. Well, no, on speaking of uh, fruity subjects, let me tell you about uh, uh, Jeff the mongoose. Yeah, let's get into mongoose. So uh, we're about to talk to uh, Christopher. A, a, yeah, wonderful writer called Christopher Jessif. Uh, he's a researcher and lecturer of uh, the sort of peculiar, of the paranormal, right. the unfathomable, right. the fortean. Um, and basically, uh, he's published in the last year um, essentially what is the most comprehensive text about uh, a very mysterious case called uh, Jeff the Mongoose. Fantastic. Are you going to tell which me about was absolutely, it? I'm going to introduce you to it. Um, and, uh, and basically, yeah, so what happened was in the, in the 30s, on the Isle of Man, yeah. uh, there was basically a family uh, who lived in a sort of small farmstead, right. like sort of far out from, uh, from the sort of normal, more populated areas of the Isle of Man. And, um, and in this little farmhouse, yeah. um, that I believe the father, Jim Irving, is a basic family. You've got a father, mother and daughter. Okay. Father sort of built, built the house himself and it was a sort of old rickety house on a sort of windy hill. Very cool. And basically in this house, uh, the family kind of experienced visitations from I suppose what can only be described as a half poltergeist, half mongoose hybrid. <laughs> um, and um, which sort of took the form of a talking mongoose, which I suppose to us sort of sounds a bit like a sort of animated Pixar character, but yeah. the descriptions of this mongoose uh, make for a, a far more terrifying yarn um, in that he had things like the hands of a tiny child um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and sort of essentially did lots of really ghostly, scary things and said lots of spooky biblical kind of shit. Um, this one, um, this one's... Uh uh, yeah, for this me, is I mean, I'm learning. I, I'm learning I know. I mean, I, for me personally, I've been interested in this case for a long time, but yeah. I'm really interested to see what Christopher has to say about it because I haven't yet read his book yet. I'm really looking forward to it. But I'm interested to see as he's actually had hands-on um, sort of research with the actual archival, 
archive materials. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see what he has to say about his belief in the case and, and what was really going on there. So am the I. I mean, if there's anyone that's going to know anything more about uh, Jeff the Mongoose... It's, it's going to be Christopher. Christopher. So uh, let's, uh, let's give him a ring. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's call him. Hi there, it's, it's Bob and Joe from Tonight With. How are you, man? You okay? Hi, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. Terrific. Thank you so much for being on the show, first of all. Uh, we want to get started basically by asking you uh, sort of what got you interested in the sort of Jeff the Mongoose case before you started writing your book, um, if that's all right. Um, well, I'm not sure where I first heard about it. I think I was, when I was younger in the 80s, uh, reading, it would either have been Osborne guides to horror and ghosts or there mm-hmm. was a, a, a part work called the unexplained it was kind of a weekly um and i'd kind of forgotten about this until i started working at um university of london library mm-hmm. and, and when you start it's very big there's different departments and when you start there they kind of take you around to the different sections and introduce you to people mm-hmm. and i was taken to the archives and the chap there said, oh yeah, we have some amazing things. We have the manuscript collection of Harry Price, the, the mm, ghost hunter. Wow. Um, and I said, oh yeah, I've heard of him, Bobby Rectory. And he said, yeah, that's interesting. And there's some other good stuff like Helen Duncan. But my favourite is the, the case of the talking mongoose. Mm. And I thought, ah, yeah, I've heard of that. I remember that. Um, and that's kind of when it started, really. And I used to go down to the, the archive room at lunchtime and after work and, you know, go through the, the folder, which had uh, Harry Price's notes and letters from James Irving, the farmer, and yep. photographs, supposedly, of Jeff. Mm. Did, it have the, did it have actual samples of Jeff's fur as well, or was that just... Yeah, a... that's right. There's, there's two places that have uh, genuine Jeff fur. There's um, crazy. the University of London Library, and there's a, um, in Cambridge, there's another library there that has Society Psychical Research Archives. So there's, yeah, little clumps of golden hair. <laughs> I mean, that's wow. That is really incredible. And have, yeah. you, have, you, have you actually felt that fur yourself as well? I have. I, I, I was lucky wow. enough to stroke the fur. And wow. um, it did seem to me to be rather like uh, the soft fur underneath uh, a dog's stomach. Mm. Uh, that's very interesting that sort of brings me on to one of our other questions but i was going to ask as well in terms of sort of a sort of uh, sort of para is it paraphysical para psychical how do you how do you pronounce it Uh, well paranormal paranormal yeah Yeah. i mean what what kind of um uh phenomena uh, that sort of Jeff the mongoose uh, sort of was known to exhibit is sort of different from sort of typical poltergeist cases. Um, well, I, I used to think that the presence of a voice mm. that could hold conversations with um, with the kind of host family was a unique property of Jeff. It it isn't actually unique. There are some other cases mm. where uh, a kind of garrulous, foul-mouthed, talkative, boastful voice mm-hmm. appeared. What I think is unique is that he appeared to them in this form of an animal. And, and if we're to believe uh, the word of James Irving and his wife and daughter, they actually touched Jeff and, you know, he would eat food and piss in the corner and things like that. <laughs> so a very yeah, yeah. existence, which, um, as far as I know, is 
Did, did, did you think that there was a sort of a, a different way in which each member of the family was supposed to be supposed to interact with Jeff? So, for instance, Margaret had separate interactions. I know her finger was supposed to be bitten by Jeff. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, they each had their own relationship with him, I suppose. Mm. Um, so he seemed to, he was very disobedient and naughty. Um, but he <laughs> did, James Irving said, he doesn't really obey any of us, but he kind of obeys my wife mm -hmm. most of all. And he, he did seem to have an attraction for Margaret, the wife. And um, mm. a rather weird one, there was one episode when he, he was watching her getting undressed for bed and he was mm. calling out the name of each garment as, as uh, she took it off. Oh, my God. she that found is... very disturbing. Um, wow. With the daughter, I think he started out as a protector. She was a loner and bullied at school and yeah. Jeff, she said, would protect him. But as she got older, she spoke of him as a nuisance and mm. oh, you know, I wish she'd leave me alone. Um, mm. So yeah, they, they each had their own Sort of, yeah, separate, separate thing going on. That's very... God, I've ne I, I never read about that with the garments thing. That's, yeah, that's uh, very, very spooky. Creepy, I mean, was, was it that when uh, sort of Harry Price uh, sort of started investigating the case, they sort of came at it from the perspective that it was definitely a hoax? Or did he have a kind of open mind toward it when he got to Cashin's Gap? I think he did have an open mind. I mean, what happened is he went up there with... Uh, R.S. Lambert, the editor of The Listener, yeah. in the summer of 1935. Yeah. But by then, the case had been going on for about three and a half years. Mm. And Price had sent up, sent up one of his investigators, a Captain Dennis. Yes, yes. Captain MacDonald in, in Price's book. Mm. Um, and Dennis's reports were quite plausible. And, you know, he, he seemed to think there was something going on there. Mm. Um, and I guess it was only really when Price actually went there and saw that the family had a dog and yeah. he was able to get um, some samples of the dog that he then began to think, oh, okay, this is, there's clear evidence of fraud because oh. the farmer had sent down to London to Price some hair samples, mm. which then turned out to be identical with the dog's hairs. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, he that's been interesting. thought it was a hoax, but he didn't seem to find that the farmer was making any money out of it, which mm. is kind of, that's something he clearly suspected, because in the letters uh, that James was writing to Price, any mention of money is underlined with a big, thick red crayon. Ah. Uh, but the, he didn't really make as much money out of Jeff as he could. He, mm. there were, there, because there was big interest from the press, uh, initially the Isle of Man press and then later um, the mainland and then worldwide and mm. some journalists wanted to purchase the negatives of, of these photos, the photos yeah. Mm. yeah and he refused he said no I, you know I won't get them back they were very hard to photograph because Jeff's very shy and he refuses <laughs> to pose so, <laughs> yeah. I mean that was very poor this is the thing the family were very very hard up um, yeah. so he would have benefited from selling these negatives. Yeah. Um, From my readings about the case, it seems that sort of Jim was a was a kind of salesman, a sort of businessman, right? And he kind of, he settled down on the Isle of Man sort of trying to sort of start this little farmstead and it didn't go very well for the family. Yeah, that's right. It, it, um, it started off okay. He bought it in about 1918. Mm. Um, and 
it was doing all right. And I think he was something like a gentleman farmer that mm. doesn't really get his hands dirty because he's able to employ people. Um, there was also a massive prisoner of war camp uh, just up the road. No way. Uh, which had lots and lots of German POWs and Italian. And oh. the government had a scheme by which these POWs could come out of the, the camp if they worked on nearby farms. So no. he was kind of getting free labor, I guess. And there was also wow. a German carpenter that helped do up Jeez. the farm. Um, he had uh, an older son who worked on the farm. He was able to employ people. But sometime around the Depression, the late 20s, things started to go wrong. Um, um, he could no longer afford to employ people. Yeah. And he was having to get down to it himself and shear the sheep and chase after the uh, ducks and the geese. <laughs> himself, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I completely understand. I mean, one question I did really want to ask as well was because it seems like a lot of people, you know, in a sort of contemporary sense, but also sort of concluded that it had something to do with Vori's ability to, uh, uh, you know, to have, to have some sort of ventriloquist kind of ability. And the only kind of reports I'd read about it were things like uh, her being seen in the mirror with a piece of string in her mouth and yeah. things like that, which to me didn't necessarily indicate ventriloquism. No, you're right. That's absolutely what a journalist uh, noted down. He went up there to observe them, and he could hear the voice of Jeff. You see, very often people would hear Jeff. It's quite rare that people, other than the family, saw him. Mm. So the suspicion was that it's, this is one of the family uh, throwing their voice or from another room or something like that. Mm. So that's why observers like Captain Dennis made a great deal of the fact that, oh, I could hear the voice of Jeff, but I could see um, the daughter was 100 feet away and um, Margaret and Jim were in front of me and I could see their lips moving, um, you know, talking to me whilst mm. Jeff was talking. Absolutely, um, yeah. But that was the suspicion. It's interesting because there's, there's two kind of sides to this. There, um a childhood friend of Vori's who went to school with her, yeah. a lady called Kathleen Green, said absolutely that Vori could throw her voice, and she gave examples of this. Um, ah. but Christ, is that where is that what the film Up the Lurgy with Mrs. Green is about? Yeah. Oh, you've done your homework. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. That's about her friend. Brilliant. That's right. Yes. Um, so she spoke about um, being with Vori out, out, out in the fields. Mm -hmm. and a herd of cats, very bizarre, as if there was a load of cats up the hill, um, mm. up the other end of the field, and um, as if Laurie was able, you know, she was adamant that she could do this. But the other side of this is Harry Price, who also had a background in stage magic, conjuring, you know, he was a member of the Magic mm -hmm. Circle, and about half of his, his fantastic library, his book collection, is to do with conjuring and, and um, wow. tricks. Illusion, um, yeah. So he was quite familiar with all this stuff, and he, he actually writes, and I've confirmed this with uh, a professional magician, yeah. this idea of throwing your voice is an illusion. It, you can't actually make your voice emanate from <sighs> another part of wow. the room, let wow. alone up a field. So mm. it's hard to kind of reconcile those two wow. versions. That's fascinating. Yeah. He said that he said that there's no way you can truly throw your voice. No, apparently what it, how it's done is oh, I can't do this, but you a, a, a ventriloquist will kind of muffle his voice and it will be quiet, um, 
and then he'll point to somewhere else on the stage and, uh. you know, he'll talk about his little friend or his little animal or something <laughs> and say, well, where are you? Are you up there in the ceiling? Are you under the floorboards? And because he's muffled his voice and he's able to do this without his lips moving. So it's just misdirection, really, <laughs> my understanding of it. So I don't know how she could have made mm. it seem like there was a lot of cats up the field. But yeah, Kathleen was absolutely... It's quite know, frightening. Just, yeah, that's, that's weird. I mean, just to sort of conclude, really, um, I was just going to ask. Not obviously, I don't want you to uh, spoil it for any readers who are going to read your book, which I is called that. Jeff, the, the the strange tale of an extra special talking mongoose. Yes. Um, and which which publisher is that again, Christopher? It's uh, Strange Attractor Press. Strange Attractor. Right. They seem yeah. to have a lot of interesting releases. Actually, I was looking on their website the other day. Um, yeah, it's a good, good home for Jeff, I think. Yeah, uh, good home indeed. And I was just going to ask, do you, uh, as, even if you don't want to tell us what it is, does your book have a kind of conclusion of what you believe Jeff was or is? Well, I have my own ideas of it, but I, I mm. hope I don't kind of ram that down people's throats. I mean, what <laughs> I've tried to do is present all the different possible theories and let people decide what they think. I, mm. One of the things I've, I noticed is when I started to, to read these letters and look at the diary notes and things in, in my lunch hour, mm -hmm. I felt it would be quite simple to just read through the primary sources um, and, you know, it would, I'd find out what the truth was. Mm -hmm. And the more I read, the more it seemed to me that there wasn't one single explanation. So yeah. there certainly were elements of hoax, but I believe there was something going on, whether it was a paranormal event or some kind of collective delusion, like a folly of do amongst mm. the whole family or yeah. the, the whole neighbourhood. Um, and I think these separate explanations can all work together. Um, mm. wow. That's what I hope I've done in the book. Yeah. Right. Incredible. That's, right. a, that's a great explanation. Thank you so much for talking to us, Christopher. I'm really looking forward to reading your book. And, uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank it's you so much. Really oh, thank you for having me. Well, have a lovely yeah. evening. Take care, Christopher. Bye-bye. Right. So, wow, that was Christopher. Wow, that was, uh, that was quite something. Sort of just sorting out my microphone there in excitement. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I was just saying, I was just, I was just thinking it was, uh, it, it was a really special interview for me as well because I've been reading about that case for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've spoken to me about it a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really interesting that it's not widely known about as well, which is why I think it's also great that someone like Christopher has taken the time to not only go to the archives, yeah. do the research. Yeah. He said it was on his lunch break a lot of the time. Isn't that great? Well. But stuff that he mentioned, like the fact that there was a prisoner of war camp. I know, I didn't know anything right about Right next there, which was presumably from World War, World War One. That would be World War One, And he's obviously, um, the father's there getting sort of free labour from the prisoners. It's yeah. awful. Yeah, and this also sort of presents interesting uh, sort of queries to me um, about kind of, about Voiry, about the daughter. Yeah. So you've got this daughter, father and mother living alone on this kind of hill, but suddenly these prisoner of war guys are coming over and helping at the farm. It must yeah. have been very strange for her. Yeah, there's certainly be an atmosphere in the air. She's a young girl, she's kind of 13, 14 years old. I can only imagine yeah. in this very desolate place what that would do as well. I mean, she's had almost yeah. no real introduction to a sort of the big, sort of, uh, you know, bustling world outside of the yeah. Isle of Man. It's very, very peculiar. Very weird, yeah. I mean, I think you, well, something you said to me was uh, about how 
There's a big, there's a chance. Am I right in thinking it's one of the it is one of the first paranormal events? That's as far as I'm concerned. From a lot of the research that I've done, it's kind of yeah. It's it's you know there were there were ghost cases before. There were obviously Harry Price himself, as we were just talking yeah. about the parapsychical uh, researcher had had done other stuff before uh, in terms of research. But I feel like it was the mo- one of the most widely reported ones in terms of sort of the tabloids and journalism at yeah. the time. Uh, not just because, you know, um, it was a peculiar case, but because there was something about it that was just so unfathomable that if it was real, of course, it would mean... I mean, it was different to any other ghost. Yeah. There is... I mean, it's... And even since a then... A mongoose with the hands of a child is... That can talk... That can speak several languages, that can that can imitate the sound of any animal, that, that according to the mongoose yeah. himself, could turn into sort of different forms, was a reincarnated this man thing, from New Delhi. This thing about... That's, I mean, that's mad. This I thing mean, about um, Voiri's ability to throw her voice... And now what this guy's saying, which is that it's impossible. I mean, that's totally out there. I mean, that's yeah, wacky. It's man. really strange. In fact, one thing that we didn't talk about uh, to, to Christopher, which I'm, I kind of... I wish that we had a little bit, was that, but that because the house was sort of hand-built by, by, uh, by Jim Irving, the father... Right. There's a suggestion, and I believe that was made at the time, that it was uh, that it, there were these kind of hollow um, kind of cracks behind the wood panelling, which is, funnily enough, coincidentally, where they would hear Jeff scratching and his noises coming from. Right, yeah. Which were what uh, Voiri was, was supposedly using as a kind of ventriloquist tool to echo her voice throughout the house. But, it's, right, you know, yeah. obviously I think, you know, it's, it, it's still kind of far What do you think? Are you sort of with Christopher I'd, sort I'd, of saying, you know, let's gather up and just see what we think? I mean, I'd, what do you think? I personally feel that, that Jim Irving was, uh, was, was telling the truth in the sense that he definitely believed it. Yeah. I, I'm not even sure wh- when he got those clippings. I, I mean, uh, undoubtedly, the fur is the dog's fur. It's not just Yeah, fur. that's almost definitely. We know that. Yeah. But, but if you really believe something and you really had to produce proof but you didn't have any, wouldn't you maybe resort to cutting off some fur from your dog and handing it over? Yeah. Especially maybe, if you didn't, maybe. didn't, Would I? I didn't know, know that yeah. it was verifiable. I don't know. It's, I mean, that's a weird place to put yourself in. Yeah. But, yeah. but, you know, it, it's almost like I think many times in these kind of paranormal cases, people might end up inventing things in order to make people believe them because yeah. they've really felt that they've lived through it. But it's fucking fascinating. It is. It's, it is. It's, it's anyway, le- lest I waffle on too much, but... but no, not at all. It's great. Uh, Christopher, Christopher, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much, yeah. man. Yeah, thank you so much. That was wonderful. Absolutely. This we, I'm going to go back to this beer. Yeah, this you're, you're this really enjoying Miami the vice. I'm really enjoying this I've vice. kind of I've handed uh, the, the vice over to our storyteller because he's got far more of a sweet tooth he's than I do. He's loving it. I think. He's absolutely loving it. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, it all the sultry. beers tonight have been really good. We've still got one more left, right? Yeah, we have. Uh, we're going to listen to another song. We're going to listen to the Ellen Vanin Tragedy. Um, Which is actually, uh, yeah. by Hugh E. Jones. It's a story about a boat um, leaving leaving the Isle of Man that's right. and sinking in the in the depths of the Irish Sea. That's right. Yeah, Which is a, actually a, an apocryphal story for uh, for our resident gambler. Absolutely. <laughs> Snay felt in will then Fourteen ships had sailed the sea Proudly bearing a man's name But there's one will never Oh, 
Fantastic, yeah, that was uh, so deeply emotional and lovely song, that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, we're going to hear from Dan as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got to uh, yeah. hear from Dan. Danny and, uh, Boy. Danny Boy, the, the beers, the beers are calling. They are, let's, um, let's I believe. listen to so Let's, let's hear what Dan's bit. got to say. Great. The last one for you guys to try is our latest edition. So this is our full flavour American IPA, 6.2%. Um, and it's just loads of bitterness there from start to beginning um which i really i love in the beer really love nice like high bitterness really refreshing and because it's slightly stronger you get sort of a more creamier sweeter malt base just when you hit that sort of six percent six to seven percent that's like the flavor zone for beer basically um so really happy of how it's come out this is one of our trial pilot brews that we were brewing before um on our launch day 
and people loved it so much so we decided to um, make it mainstream. Uh, it's got four different malts in there, so you've got pale malt, which is the majority of the malt base, and then we've got cara red and rye as well, which adds a nice sort of nuttiness to the beer. Um, hope you enjoy them. Wow, fantastic. Thanks for that, Dan. Yeah, thank you very much for that, Dan. That was a great description. I'm ready for this this flavour time. Yeah, I like this West Side IPA. Great name. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a good colour as well. I've always been a bit a uh, bit more on the West Side yeah. than uh, East Side. You know, I understand that. Um, I think you said the same thing about Croydon earlier. Uh, yeah, in fact, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I also mean it in a biggie and two pack sense. Of course. No, I totally understand that. Totally understand yeah. that. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's, let's let's drink. Go, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Mm. Absolutely. Oh, it's very nice. Was it? Yeah, this is good. This is like the kind of happy medium between um, sort of the I'd oh, say the first two nice. drinks between the between the the beach session IPA wide eyes and the APA. Cool, it's a good beer. This yeah, one. this is nice. This, this is, is the really newest nice. beer. Ooh. This is the newest beer. This is the, yeah the newest one they've added to the label. I'm really digging this. Uh, it's also vegan. So it's kind of yeah. So I think I can see immediately why I like this because my other favorite one was the was the first beer, the beach session. And this is just a higher percentage one as well that's a bit like that, but yeah, also very different with different flavours. But this is a... It's interesting about the flavours only he's talking about there, isn't it? Yeah, it's it. the stronger the beer is, the more flavour there is. That's not true of K-Cider, in my experience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but is true of uh, wonderful craft beers like Lost Pier. Yeah. Um, 6.2% this one. It's really, really, really delicious stuff. Um, it's very nice. I'm, I'm still a, sort of buzzing about. Um, yeah, I'm buzzing about. about yeah, about the mongoose stuff as well. My head's kind of spinning with ideas of like, you know, it's funny we were mentioning the the tulpa the other day. As yeah, well. yeah, the tulpa. Uh, as far as I'm sort of concerned, I believe the tulpa would be a, the tulpa a doppelganger. The, the tulpa. Well, the tulpa is actually a Buddhist concept. Okay. Um, and it, the concept is that if you achieve a sort of state of ultimate or close to ultimate enlightenment, that you can do things such as project. Um, actual literal physical manifestations of your mind wow. into the real world um not just for yourself but so other people can physically see them okay so within uh some buddhist texts they literally describe how like you know a buddhist master um will actually show their disciple a physical thing that they've manifested purely from their mind like a, and it will look like a person actually walking around and wow. stuff yeah. um and there is a theory that i kind of have in my mind sur surrounding poltergeist full stop as well as jeff which is you know it's always sort of, uh, you know, teenage girls in a, in, a, in a sort of, their minds all over the shop and they're kind of full of adrenaline and this and that and their lives are confusing and they seem to manifest their, all this energy, all this pent-up aggression and, right, yeah. and, and all, all sorts into something which could possibly physically move objects around a room, manifest itself as a particular spectre. In the case of Jeff the Mongoose, was a, was a very extra special uh, bizarre sort of talking mongoose case, maybe yeah, extra special little mongoose. Yeah, that's that's kind of what's knocking around my brain at the moment. I see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there's something about that in that in that sense that um, that reminds me of sort of uh, trips in the sense of uh, yeah, sort of, sort of drug DMT trips. DMT trips. What Terence McKenna I talked about the the dual. Yeah. Basketballs, the old gooseberry, gooseberry wine. Yeah, the as idea a, of yeah. Marco Guido. Marco, Marco Guido knows about it. Yeah, Marco this idea that, <laughs> that in sort of the the place where DMT would take you would uh, mm. show you uh, um, sort of singing beings that would mm. sing sort of eloquent Fab Fabergé eggs into existence mm. and say, "Hey, sing with me." Mm. It, it's all uh, similar. 
I think it's very similar. Yeah, and who knows? I mean, maybe there's a stage of our minds, you know, where, where when we're very young, we can we can we can sort of project certain uh, sort of powers or something that we well, can't we can do. Well, we can certainly do a lot more when we're young in the in the sense of um, believing our own am- imaginations. Mm-hmm. And maybe that you know maybe that that makes a that has an effect on the physical world. Who yeah, Voiry, the daughter there, maybe she could do that. Was manifesting that, yeah. Who knows? Or maybe it was just a ventriloquist hoax. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Jim was just. Um, Looking for cash. I, I want to believe. I want to believe. Um, but okay, I think we're going to where well, we were originally going to do the booby trap. I'm going to say that. We were. Um, but considering our rather somber, spooky seaside vibe, we thought it might be better. That's right. And it's actually quite hard for us to get out of this uh, lighthouse at the, the moment. The, 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 the wind is howling. The rain is a beating down, as I believe Joe's original monologue was indicating. Yeah. That's right. Um, so we're going to uh, call some 24-hour uh, petrol stations in Croydon and ask them about what the meaning of magic is. That's exactly what we're going to do. Take it away, Ewan. Magic Thanks for calling Tesco. Oh. Just so you know, we sometimes record calls for training and quality purposes. All right, Tesco. Today, we're trying to find out what magic is, mate. 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> to 4pm. We're not calling about our 25% off six or more bottles we're of not. wine promotion. We're definitely not Due calling about that. Due to the popularity of the promotion, we are unable to provide accurate stock levels. We're calling about magic, Tesco. from Thursday the 7th of September to Sunday the 17th of September. I don't know what you're saying, Tesco. all wine, sparkling wine and champagne, which are priced Wait, at £4.35 a dollar due to the alcohol minimum pricing law. Please visit your local store for accurate stock information. All right, can you put us through to if the petrol station? If you're calling us about an order placed no, 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 on tesco.com no, no, no. or to collect your order, press 1. To speak to one of our in-store departments, press 2. two. To speak to us about products we stock in two. store, press 3. If you'd like to be put through to the optician, press <laughs> <laughs> I suppose optical like dudes would have a little bit of knowledge about magic. Bone shop, press Bone two. shop? But if only Tesco had the a bone shop. The big blue bone shop. Stay with the bones tonight, alright? If you'd like to be put through to the travel money desk. Put the broken arms and give me your charms. Oh, travel money desk. Travel money desk. Is that all we're looking five. for? In life? To return to the main menu, press oh, zero. Now we're going to the big blue bone shop. Thanks for calling Tesco Direct. We're closed at the moment, but you oh. can call us back between 8 a.m. Oh. to 11 p.m. We're out. Hang up on you guys. Magic I want to uh, talk about something else. What good. I want to really talk about is I want to talk about uh, how good these beers have been tonight, how incredible Lost Beer Beer have been. Absolutely I fantastic, think we, Dan. We You're should doing a really good job. play our jingle one last time. Um, and uh, and I also just want to say that in terms of beer, I think the Beach Session IPA and the West Side IPA were the best. Personally, I would take the West Side IPA over the beach. I would take the, le- the I would I'd take this West Side all day long. Yeah, over I all think of them. it's I really love the Miami beer. Vice. That's uh, that Miami Vice was mm-hmm. wicked. I understand, but, but the yeah. Brighton Session, I would session that. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That, know, that was really good as well. I'm not saying that APA actually isn't a good beer because it is a good beer. APA but I'm with you. Really I'm nice. saying out of these, I am. I'm going for Westside. I'm taking a Westside next time I get into. Quaff. Yeah, definitely. Th- these are all terrific beers. I think. Uh, I think Westside IPA was was the winner for me. Another thing that I'd like to mention is that where Dan was uh, talking about when he and how he brews his beer and stuff, and he he does what's called um, what's known as a a mm. paper brew brewing. 
That's right. That's right. Yeah. Paper paper brewery. Paper brew. Paper brew. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, clearly amazing results. So that's uh, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, it is. It's really good. Let's listen to our jingle one more time. And then let's come back. The iron is a rusty and the barnacles are crusty But I'm feeling kind of lofty for a lost beer beer The boats they are leaving and the dolphins are eating But the drink that I believe in is a lost beer beer The lost beer beer From the camp, my dear The captain and the crew are drinking lost beer beer Lost beer beer The holy land is near The captain and the crew are drinking lost beer beer And we're back. We are we're back. back. We're back. I we're hope, Dan, that you enjoy that as much as I do. Yeah, that was fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, it's. It, I mean, it's been swell. I guess this is. Is this. Is this goodbye? This is goodbye. Yeah, it's been swell. Everyone. It's hard to leave you. All hard to leave you. But we'll see you again next week. And uh, and yeah, until then. Until then. Godspeed. Good night, Seattle. And let her run before the wind and tide The gallants plunge, the gulls keep watch The head and shoulders wide Oh, the head boys, the head Oh, the head boys for me Red or kippered, fresh or pickled Oh, the head the king of the sea Head and the arbor point will soon be left behind. Our fleshy base, so west by west, our many friends we'll find. Oh, the heron boys, the heron, oh, the heron boys for me. Red or kippered, fresh or pickled, oh, the heron's the king of the sea. Stroke his flag, so down with the nets and pray. The fisher's friend to bless our homes and toil by night and day. Oh, the heron boys, the heron, oh, the heron boys for me. Red or kipper, fresh or pickle, oh, the heron's the king of the sea. The sun's bright signal shines Tis time to haul our glitch and train And ship our loaded lines Oh, the heron boys, the heron Oh, the heron boys for me Red or kibble, fresh or pickle Oh, the heron's the king of the sea